Blog Talk Radio. It's Wednesday afternoon and we're excited to be on the air. Your hosts for today's show are Robert Brining and Jack McEnroe. They will be taking your calls and speaking out on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. Welcome to Paz IM Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Pause Man Radio. Happy Wednesday. Um, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. We have um, a great guest coming on, Tracy Williams, who will be sharing his personal story with us um, of what it's like to be HIV positive, married, and um, be a parent. And it's um, a very important story to hear because a lot of people who are diagnosed um, seem to believe that they cannot find true love or they will never have a relationship or they can't be parents. And uh, having... Um, Tracy, come on and share his personal story like this is going to offer a lot of people um, hope who are newly diagnosed and going through that stage in their life that they're never going to have anything or they're not going to be, they're, they're not worth it. And uh, Tracy's story is going to offer hope to those people. Um, Jack is off today. Jack is out of town um, in a meeting for some stuff. So he uh, sends his love, but he will not be uh, co-hosting today. Um, starting, actually, uh, this is our last Wednesday show. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We will actually be moving the show. Um, Jack and I will be moving to Sundays with uh, Jeremy, so it will be all three of us on a Sunday evening at 9 o'clock. Um, and we're going to have special guests coming and things of that nature. We're changing the format a little bit. So um, before Tracy comes on, I just want to remind everybody that we do have a social network that you can check out for uh, HIV-positive individuals and their friends and family. And they can check that out at www.pausim.com and uh, create a profile there and start meeting, you know, people who they feel can relate to. A lot of this, um, a lot of people who are diagnosed feel they can't relate to anybody. So I created a social network for people to join and, and find similarities in each other's stories. And um, I think it's it's doing um, it's doing good for people. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm a part of it. And I've met a lot of wonderful people uh, through that system. One of the I needed to talk about today, uh, Daddy Dab, you may know him, he um, co-hosts from time to time from um, when Jack and Jeremy are not in, he uh, will sit in and co-host for me. He sent me an email to uh, to announce that um, Dab the AIDS Bear, which is actually uh, his project, if you go to www.dabtheaidsbearproject.com and check out, you know, all his information. But he uh, sent this out, so I just want to read it to you. Dad the AIDS Bear is asking all of our friends and supporters to call their elected officials and urge them to pass the Ryan White HIV AIDS Treatment Extension Act of 2009. American men, women, and children living with HIV and AIDS are depending on your calls. If you do not know your elected officials, go, go to www.votesmart.org and you can find your elected officials now. Call now. And thank you for your continued support. American men, women, and children living with HIV and AIDS are counting on your support. Every call matters, and every call makes a difference. So go ahead and log on and check that out. Um, and find your officials and make that call, because it's very urgent that Ryan White is um, extended, and we are able to have the services to help people who can't afford their medications and things of that nature. If you are listening live, and you are not on our radio show page, you can join us at www.blogtalkradio backslash pause I am. There's a chat room there where you can interact or you can stay on um, the 
player page and listen to it there. I think I may have Tracy on the line here, so I'm going to go ahead and bring this person on. Tracy, is that you? Hey, Robert. How are you? Good, Tracy. Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. I wasn't sure. Are you Skyping in? Oh, no. No. I'm on the phone. Okay. I just see ones. That's why. It doesn't show oh, me okay. a phone number. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool. So welcome to the show. Um, it's just me and you today. Jack is away. So uh, I'm excited to have you on and, and hear your story. I know we've been trying to reach out and, and act for a while now. So um, I'm excited to have you come on. Well, I'm just glad we finally were able to connect. I know both of us with our busy schedule, so, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm just, I love the work that you're doing, so, and uh, I love the uh, website. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're originally from New York. Yes, I'm originally from New York. Um, have bounced around quite a bit being in the military. I was an Air Force officer for a number of years. Um, so I've seen every state except three and um, lived in most of them for quite a while, visited quite a bit, um, seen a lot of things, seen a lot of places. Um, what else can I tell you? I um, Oh, boy, what can I tell you? Well, when were you, when were you, um, well, let's see, you lived in New York, you said you, you traveled a lot of places. You were You were in the Army? No, I was in the Air Force. The Air Force, okay. That's I think so. You're like the third guest that I had on that was in the Air Force. That's kind of interesting. Um, so, what was it like being in the Air Force? Were you uh, were you out in the Air Force? Yes and no. Um, of course, <laughs> you know they didn't have "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, all the all the military branches have their own cliques as far as um, all the gay people. So you kind of know how to reach out to them, where to re- reach out to them. And um, we had our own little clique. I was stationed in South Dakota, and um, we had our own little clique there. So we had a lot of fun. Um, I, did, I did something that was really kind of odd to most of my friends, though. Um, I used to be president of the Black Hills Gay Coalition while I was in the service for two years. So okay. that covered South Dakota, North Dakota, and Montana. Wow. And most of my friends thought I was crazy, but I said, you know, this is something I really believe in, and, you know, we just have to keep it tight so nobody finds out about it. And what is that coalition exactly about? Because I'm not familiar with it. It is actually about um, encouraging and enabling as many members as they possibly can, because you can you can imagine out in, in the, 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 the rural areas, they have no contact with other gay people. So... Mm-hmm. They need support. They need information, and um, that's what you know. That's what we were trying to bring them, and also trying to bring them places to meet and greet and get to know each other, and not to feel as if they were alone. Right. And that's always important, never to feel alone. Exactly. You know, because as a gay man, and then going through HIV, it's kind of like a double whammy where you feel alone. You know, in a different exactly. way both times. Exactly, you know, um, and back then, I, you know, I was also counseling people as far as HIV and whatnot because um, prevention was, you know, very, very important, and um, doing a lot of counseling as far as um, just, how to, how, just how to have a, a relationship and maintain one um, because you're not taught that. We don't have any, you know, we don't have any figures to look up to to say, okay, well, this is how this is supposed to work, and the dynamics are so different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we, kind of have to learn from scratch and learn from each other and look at our own success success stories. 
Exactly, exactly. So uh, I just want to fast forward a little bit. You were diagnosed in April of 1993. Oh, yeah, um, that April day. <laughs> can, you, can you kind of uh, take us back there and just tell us a little bit about like, how your process was when you went through it? Well, the week um, – it was the week after um, Easter of that year that I was um, actually given the information. Um, and I remember it vividly because the week, before, the week prior to that, I was going down to see my mother because my mother and I both lived in New York at the time. And my mother had um, recently gotten married, and she was moving to Florida. And she moved to Florida the week before um, Easter of that year. And she was driving a truck down with her husband and some um, friends of ours. And I said, okay, well, I'll come down a week later and help you get the house together. And I decided to go ahead and get tested um, before I left on that visit. Well, when I got back is when I got the news, uh, and I was diagnosed HIV positive. And it, it really never affected me, I guess, the way it does most people as far as being so devastating because I never looked at it as, as a death wish. I looked at it as if I needed to gain as much information as I needed to. Um, the only down, downside that I found to it was um, I have a niece. Her name is Alana. And at the time, she wasn't born yet. My sister, in fact, my younger sister, in fact, was pregnant with her. And the only thing I could think about was this child would not get to know me. And I made a deal with God in my own way and said, God, let me live at least 10 years so this child can get to know me because Alana had um, an, a brother and my other sister, Lisa, had a son, Desmond, and they were both um, about eight at the time, and they both knew me very, very well and loved me for who I was, and I just wanted this child to know me as well. So I also knew that I had a responsibility to take care of myself, so that's what I promised to do, and that's what I did. And now Alana just turned 16. Wow, she's driving on yeah, <laughs> almost. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, she just turned 16 um, last month, so I am so grateful, and um so grateful that I kept my, kept up my end of the bargain and kept and glad that God kept up his. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So, how did your family react when you first told them about your status when you were diagnosed? Well, it took me almost to the end of that year to tell my family because I was going through a lot. Um, as I said, my mother moved to Florida, and before that, um, a month before, uh, well, actually. Let me digress. Um, my mother was having a big dinner for Thanksgiving in 93 when she moved down there because she wanted everybody to come down. And the about a month before um, the visit in November, I found out that um, one of my former partners was really, really sick um, in Connecticut, and I went up there to take care of him. And he died the week before I left to go to um, Florida. However, I did get – I drove – because I was living in Georgia at the time. Um, I drove from Georgia like a bat out of hell to Connecticut <laughs> to spend three days with him before he passed away. And I truly believe he held on um, until I got there to see him. And I left on a Saturday, got back to Georgia on Saturday night, and he passed away that Monday afternoon. So when I went to see my mother in November – I was really having a hard time, but I couldn't tell her because if I told her he passed away because she had met him, then it would have been a really, really difficult situation for me because then I would have had to, you know, go ahead and, 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 you know, 
um, tell her that I was positive, and then that would be one more worry and everything else. I didn't tell my family until just before Christmas, and I know that's a horrible time, but the reason I did is because I was in a relationship with someone who was positive, and I just wanted them to know. I wanted them to know that I was okay, I was dealing with it okay, and everything I had gone through that year, because it, it had been a very, very difficult year for me, not as far as myself, but just as far as other people in my life. So once I told them, they were very, very supportive. Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a bad word from any of them. And I have a very, very large family. Uh, my family is spread out all across the country. And um, they've all been very, very supportive. Um, I love them dearly, and um, they're probably listening to your show. So I just want them mm-hmm. to know that. <laughs> oh, I feel the love through the phone. <laughs> um, what was I going to say to you? A lot of people have that issue. Um, I was just actually reading a post that was put up on Pause.im today by someone who is, um, he's an older gentleman, and he's, uh, I think he's been HIV positive for, I don't know exactly the length of time, I don't remember, but I know that he's been dealing with the disclosure part, and one of the things that he mentioned in his post was that he just recently told his, you know, his two friends that he was positive, and they don't ever call him again. So he's afraid to make that move to his other friends and his family because he thinks everybody's going to reject him. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's sitting there, you know, who's afraid to tell people because they've been rejected once or twice? Well, the first thing I'd have to tell them is that they have to be comfortable with it themselves, and I think that's what took me so long to be able to Mm -hmm. disclose. And once you're comfortable, then you have to choose the people wisely. And the first thing I would say to that gentleman specifically was that they're not your friends. Because right. if they're your friends, they're going to be there to support you. They're going to be there to love you, and they're going to be they're going to become and become educated about what they can do to assist you in any way. And they'll also learn that hey, I can't get this from being his friend. I can't get this from supporting him. And the only thing you can do is just pick people carefully. I mean, I had to choose carefully in my own mind who I told, how I told them, and when I told them. And, I mean, I, have, I had a rule before I got married. Um, if you and I had gone on a date, I wasn't going to tell you because it wasn't something I really felt that I needed to get into. If you and I were going to get into an intimate relationship, then that was something that I know I needed to share. And it was something important for me to go ahead and say. So you have to, you, you have to pick that right time, and that right time comes from your gut. And that's the only thing I can really tell you. Yeah, that's one of the things that I always ask. When's the right thing to disclose? And I'm like, you, you, it's something, like you said, it's in your, you know when it is the time. Now, obviously before any kind of sexual intercourse, but you know when it is a good time. Exactly. Like you can feel it. Exactly. And if you follow your gut, nine and a half times out of ten, that's going to be the right thing for you to do. See, so you are, you are a, a, a gay male living in Canada, right? You're in Canada now? No, I'm living in California. Why do I think Canada? Because everybody that's thinks weird. Canada when you say California, when you say Ontario. Ah, uh, that's why. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so you're living in California now, and you've been uh, married for how long? It will be two years, June. And how's that for you? Because that's something that you know somebody like me who lives in Pennsylvania where there isn't gay marriage and there wasn't that chance for me to, you know, get married and, I don't know, whatever they're going with that Prop 8 over there. They didn't have that opportunity where I'm at now. So how is it like for you to be somebody who's married? 
as a gay man? Because for me, it's like a dream. Well, I'll tell you. It was a dream for me. I, I never thought it was something I'd be able to do. Um, I have to respect people that have been married for a, a, a long length of time because it is hard work. Um, and this was kind of a whirlwind romance to begin with because we met June of 2007, and it was actually just supposed to be a hookup. And if I can say this, we met on Adam. Um, it was supposed to be a weekend fling. We spent four days together, and from that point forward, we just knew. And Linwood has been a special person and is a special person in my life and always has been. Um, I respect him so much, and I love him so much. And we became friends over that four days. And, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but we just did. And, yes, we have our we have a little, you know, quirks and our idiosyncrasies, and, yes, we have our little arguments and everything else, but we know that our, our basis – the basis for this relationship is, is a foundation of love and respect, and we know that. So when we met in 2007, we kind of just did everything quick, fast, in a hurry. And not that we felt that we had to, but just because we wanted to, because we wanted to be together. So we got married the next year, um, June 22nd of 2008, and um, we had already planned on having a commitment ceremony in December of 2008, and that's what we did. Um, we had to go through it anyway because everybody had already, all of our families had already made plans for it. So we had a big celebration December 13th, um, 2008, um, in Palm Springs at um, a wonderful friend of ours, Michael and Rick's homes. Um, and it was wonderful. I mean, everyone came out. Um, the only one that wasn't able to make it was my mother, and that was purely because she had had um, surgery and she couldn't make it. And to this day, she still talks about how she wished she were there because she'd heard such wonderful things about it. And. Um, from that point forward, it's just been living life. Marriage is difficult. It really is. And it's something that people really need to think about because it is a commitment to someone else. You are, being, you are responsible to someone else, but at the same time, you're still your own individual person. And you still have your own responsibilities to yourself. But I respect anyone who happens to be in a successful and productive marriage because it is hard work. It yeah, and, is. Those, and those quirks and, and arguments that you were talking about, they're – they're normal in every marriage, you know what I mean? And it's how you work through those quirks and, and those arguments that make you stronger and, and, you know, make the relationship last. Well, that and assistance. I mean, right now, Linwood and I um, have a family therapist that we go to, and he helps us out a lot as, be, as far as being able to communicate better with each other, and it's helped immensely. And that's one thing that I always tell all of my friends um, I have a couple of um, girlfriends now who, you know, are having minor issues, and I've told them, seek out someone to assist you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, look, I need a little help here. Because the, 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 the hardest thing, I think, for people to do in general is to communicate, because we all come with our own baggage. And then on mm -hmm. top of it, with us being gay men and women, I mean, that's – that that's kind of another story on top of a story. So right. it, it's difficult to say, I can do this myself. Nobody's Superman or Superwoman. We all need some kind of assistance at some point. That's right. I actually have a caller online here, and I just they've been sitting here for a little bit. I just want to bring them on um, before they get tired and hang up. <laughs> sure. So let me just bring them on. Area code 817. Welcome to Pause Am Radio. Who's this? This is his mother. <laughs> That's my well, mother. Hello, mother. <laughs> hello, how are you? Good, welcome to the show. Thank you. I just wanted to tell him I'm listening and I love him. 
And as far you asked as far as the family was concerned when he let us know that he was positive, um, I think we were able to take it so well because he took it so well. He made us feel that he was going to be all right. And we're a faith-filled family, and we believed it. Yeah, I think that's a good thing that you bring up, Mom. Is um, I remember when I sat down with my mom and told her that I was positive, I had information. I let her know that there was, like, if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask me. Because once I showed that I was okay with it, like everyone else, like my mother and my sister, seemed to be okay with it because I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. And it makes a difference. It really does when the, the person themselves um, deals with it well. It makes it easier for the family. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, Tracy, I think your speakers might be up on your on the on the computer there. I hear an no, echo. That's actually my mother. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I knew it was one of you. <laughs> but that's all I wanted to say, and oh. I'm enjoying listening to you guys. Well, and thanks for I'm, calling in, Mom. I will listen to your show from now on every once in a while. Great, I'm excited. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And, and just so you know, that was not pre-planned. I had no idea she she was going to call in because she wasn't home when I called a few hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny because it's like well, when we do the show here, you know, my mom, she tunes in every once in a while and she'll listen um, when I have a certain guest on that she thinks may be interesting. And she um, she tunes in and she tunes in as a guest so she doesn't log in to Blog Talk Radio so I don't know that it's her. So she's like, you always got to be careful what you say on air because I'm going to be listening <laughs> I'm like, Mom, I say good things, I swear. (laughs) So moving on, uh, you were um, married two years ago. You've been, right, two years. Right, 2007? You were married two years ago? Yes. Okay. And you were diagnosed in 93. Now, you also have children, correct? One of them, you do have one child that is your own, right? Yes, my son Jermaine, who unfortunately is an addict, and he's out here in California. Um, he is 33 years old. I also have a granddaughter. Um, her name is Naya. She will be nine. I mean, Naya. Her name is Lika. She'll be nine in November. Um, and Linwood and I are presently adopting this wonderful little five-year-old in his room, Alan. And uh, what can I tell you? Um, Linwood doesn't have any children, so he um, had always told me that he'd, he'd wanted a child, and we, of course, said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we will go ahead and look into adoption. And um, it took some time um, through all the training and clearances and everything else, but um, we, um, went through the, we went through the process, and the process takes a while. It takes a few months, three to six months, um, but we knew that um, the reward would be great. And children kept coming up for us and kept coming up for us, but Alan came up for us actually about three times. And the last time we said, look, we want this little boy. And once we met him, um, we just had to have him. Um, And I know that um, he is going to be a very, very strong supporter for the two of us because he will tell you, he will tell you in a minute, I've got two daddies. And he says it so defiantly as if I dare you to say something. And it just makes us feel so proud whenever he says that. Mm-hmm. So how old, um, you're diagnosed in 93. How old was your oldest son when you were diagnosed? Um, 86, 93, 
seven. Seven. Well, wait a minute. Wait, okay. wait, wait. Yeah, seven. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Seventeen. 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 Okay. So, did you have that same conversation, explaining what it was to him as well? Um. No. Actually, um, his mother was the last person that I told, and the reason I chose to do that um, is because. Well, I hate saying this on radio, but it's true. She's got a big mouth. And I knew if I told her, he would find out in a way that I didn't want him to find out. Right. And it was important for me to be able to sit down and talk with him about it. So once I was able to sit down and talk with him about it, um, then I went ahead and I told her. And um, he grew up with me while I was in the service. He was with me while I was in the service. And he met a lot of my gay friends. And the one thing about children is children are very resilient and the one thing that you have to realize as a parent is that you have a responsibility to show them love, to show them respect, but also not to show them the crazy side that you could have because that's what the, that's what they'll react to. And I made very I, I was I was very careful about exposing him to too many things, too many people. He met my good friends, he knew who they were, and um, when I told him he was when I told him I was gay, he was nine years old. Because I always said I would tell him when I felt he was ready for it, and he was okay. Um, we were watching. In fact, I'll never forget this. A friend of mine, um, Lloyd, um, actually kept saying to me, "You need to see the movie Kiss of the Spider Woman." I don't know if you remember that from years ago with no. um, Bill Hurt. Well, anyway, it's about a drag queen in jail with this guy, and I'm looking at the cover because I went to Blockbuster to rent it, and I'm looking at the cover, and I'm like, oh, wow, this looks like a good mystery, because it doesn't tell you anything on the cover about the movie itself. So Jay, that's what I call him, Jay and I went to the movie, um, went to Blockbuster, and we rented it, and I said, okay, well, this is a good movie for us to sit down and watch on a Friday night. I put the movie in, and the first thing you sing, see is Bill Hurt and Dragon. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill Lloyd. <laughs> so, of course, Jay starts laughing. And he's on the floor with a bowl of popcorn between his legs. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? He's like, that guy's a faggot. He's queer. I'm like, uh-uh. So I started telling him, off. I said, those are not nice words. He says, well, Dad, what is he? I said, he's gay. He just likes to dress up and he likes other men because he was kissing on the guy in his jail cell. Right. So turned television off again. He starts <laughs> laughing. I mean, turned it on again. He starts laughing again. So this time I really had to sit down and have a conversation with him. And I, he says, this is just funny. This is just funny. He's queer. He's queer. I said, look, those are not nice words, and I don't want to hear them. So after about an hour discussion, I finally had to say to him, well, what if I told you I was gay? And he's like, nah. I said, yes, I am. He's like, nah. And he kept going through nah, really, for about 20 minutes. And finally he realized that I was serious. Robert, he went through every single friend of mine he had ever met. And he kept asking me, are they gay, are they gay, are they gay? And not all of them were. So I'm, I'm sitting there for a half hour, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> and I think, but I think doing it in their time makes them understand and gives them a better tolerance level because he's never, he had a gay friend at that time, who a, a, a little boy that I felt, his name was Stephen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I felt so bad for the little boy because everybody would tease him. They call him a sissy and everything else. And in my opinion, clearly, he was going to be a gay boy. He just was. Um, but Jay always respected him, always had him over to the house, always played with him. And, in fact, one time Jay told me that Stephen tried to kiss him. 
And he's like, no, I don't like you like that, but I like you as a friend. And that he had to have learned, hopefully for me, a level of tolerance for people that are different. And I think that's why he accepted me being positive so well, because he realized it was just different. It wasn't, going, it wasn't changing me as a person. It, just, it was just different. It was a different situation. Yeah, because that's something that I struggle with. I, have, I don't have any kids myself, but I have a, a niece, two nieces and a nephew, and my niece is, I want to say, I think she's 11, and she still does not, I don't know if she knows. I mean, we haven't had an open conversation about me being gay, but it's still that subject that floats around that I always want to have a conversation with her. But a part of me feels that it's my sister's responsibility, and I don't want to step on my sister's toes. But it's like my goddaughter, you know, she was born on December 1st, so her birthday, like, to me, it's like a special meaning, and, like, it was a sign, like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that everything is just meant to be, and I feel like I should explain to her that her birthday is very special for her, but it's also very special, you know, for a lot of other people out there who are HIV positive. But I just feel like I don't want to step on my sister's toes. Well, I understand. Like, they're her I mean, kids. And, and you do have to respect it because all of my, my sisters, um, my middle sister, Lisa, she has, a, um, she has one son, and my baby sister has um, three children. And, in fact, dude, and I want to say hello to him. I call him big dude now. Actually, when he was little, I called him little dude. But um, – <laughs> He and um, Alan's birthday are the same day, and dude is eight, and he is such a blessing to me. I mean, he, he thinks I'm the most special person in the world, but he actually came to the ceremony in December. He loves Linwood. He loves Alan, and he's just accepted it all. <laughs> he's, just, he's just accepted it all, and that's just, what it, you know, that's just what it is. Everybody in my family knows. They just, they just know, and they've all accepted it, and, and I'm so grateful for that. Now, I understand situations like that don't always work out that way, but all we can do as HIV-positive people is be as open as we possibly can. And by that, you do it, you do it with temperance. I mean, you, the audience that you're speaking to, that's the one you have to fit your story to. You have to fit your attitude with. If you're talking to a child and a child asks you a question, then you have to find out from their mother or father if it's okay to say, hey, look, this is what's going on, you know. So with you and your sister, have a conversation with your sister and find out. Does your sister feel she, that, that the child's ready for it, if your niece is ready for it? If she says yes, then the both of you sit down and talk to her. I mean, if not, your sister will tell you the right time. Right. You know, the whole thing that I think about is I was like, I'm like, she's 11 years old. She's only seen her Uncle Bobby with other guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when it's her birthday, you know, like a guy comes with Uncle Bobby, not a girl. So mm-hmm. I think that she knows already. I think it's more, and, her, and my nephew is, oh, my God, he's eight already so fast. He got old, um, <laughs> older, <laughs> eight years old, and he's running around now saying, oh, that's gay, oh, that's gay. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, I look at my sister and I'm like, do you know that that's something that he really shouldn't be saying? Like, that's gay. And then, like, they'll ask him, and he knows what to say to people. Oh, well, they're just really happy, Mommy. You know what I mean? But we, <laughs> but we know that that conversation that he's really trying to say it's something negative and not really that, oh, he's happy, that they use that as a cover-up. And at eight years old, you know, my sister took him to the side and was like, you can't say that. You shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. And to me, I just feel like definitely you shouldn't say that, especially since your Uncle Bobby is gay. Well, you know, it's just tough. Again, it's education. Um, mm-hmm. 
and you know your sister's going to deal with it in her own time and who knows they may get old enough where they're going to just come and ask you directly and if they ask you directly then that's the time for you to have to go ahead and tell them you know and hopefully they're mm-hmm. old enough where you don't have to talk to your sister about it yeah right <laughs> <laughs> in time that'll be really nice i just you know it's just we're all different you know i have two siblings and they're both sisters and i'm a middle child and we, we all have different views in how life is because we all take different paths, just like everyone in the world. You know what right. I mean? You get different views that you adopt from people you meet, people you, you marry, and, you know, just different things like that. And just in their time, they'll do what they have to do. And I just, you know, hope that they do it correctly. And, and I just don't think it's something that you should hide until they're 16 years old because, you know what I mean, obviously they're asking questions now and they're just not getting the right answers. But enough about me. I want to go back to you. Um do you have you found yourself did you go to any kind of support meetings like what kind of support do you have now Oh jeez well I have no formal <laughs> formal support groups here in um in LA um when I first got here in 96 I really tried to reach out to a lot of different communities um and and try to find some type of support group and things like that and things out here in LA since they since it's so large. It's just so scattered. And I just was not able to make the connections that I've made other places. I mean, my family is, is definitely a great support system for me. Um, when I lived in Atlanta, I was executive director for a support group there for a number of years. Um, so, I mean, I, I have support through all the many, many friends that I have, and I still counsel people um, via telephone and in person here. So I, I, I still have a, a tremendous amount of support. I just don't have any formal support. Now, it's interesting you say that, though, because I actually have been talking to um, Strength in Numbers here mm-hmm. and a number of their members, and they're actually having um, a number of events coming up. And I was just talking to Jeff, I believe his name is, online last night, and he was saying, are you Tracy Williams is going to be on Pause I Am tomorrow? I said, yes. He's like, wow, <laughs> a celebrity. I'm like, no, not really, but thank you anyway. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be tr- trying, earnestly trying to connect with them, um, even though they're in L.A., because I live an hour outside, an hour east of L.A. Oh, yeah. Brian um, Le- Levinson, who is the founder of SIN, is, uh, is a friend of mine, and he does great work and has been such a help for me. And they, they do have a lot of social events, and that's always something that I try to point. You know, if they're on my site and they're HIV positive and they're a gay man, I try to point them to SIN because SIN is a lot of the social interaction where I, as I am, I'm only one person. I can't do everything, and I'm not all over the world. So they have, like, chats all over in the States and in different countries, and, you know, they've been a, a big support for me, they're kind of, I guess we call them like the brother site of yeah. Pause I Am, and I'm their sister site. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it's just a different take that they only focus on gay men, and I think it's important for certain people to, to connect with other gay men who are HIV positive. Most definitely. Most definitely. You know what I mean? And for anybody out there that's, that's newly diagnosed, the first thing you need to do is seek out some type of support group. I mean, you know, if, if, if it's not your family, seek out a support group somewhere and and make yourself available. I mean, it's not going to be easy because it never is. I mean, uh, look at me. I went from April to December before I was able to tell my family. But, um, you know, I had a lot of work that I had to do on myself in between that time, and I had a lot of support from other people, a few people that did know. And you just you just have to go ahead and take that leap of faith that it's going to be okay because, fortunately, now we're able to live a lot longer with this disease, and 
you know, I didn't get my my first master's until 2002 because I kept looking at myself in 93 saying, oh, I'm going to die. It doesn't make a difference. And that was definitely the wrong attitude to have. You can do so much and continue to do so much, and you are such a worthwhile individual that you need to you need to remember that about yourself before you were diagnosed because nothing's really changed. And I just wish I had realized that, you know, a, a longer time before because, you know, those demons come up and, you know, you, you start thinking about the guilt and the shame and everything else, and we have to live past that. It's almost like just making a mistake in life and you just have to go ahead and get over it. Yes, it's a devastating mistake or devastating error, I should say, but it's not, it's not going to be one of those that you have to look at and say, oh, my God, my life's got to stop. And that's what I try to tell so many people. Your life does not have to stop. That's one of the things that a lot of people face. They always think that their life is over, um, you know, that it's the end of the world. And, and literally they feel that their life has stopped in place and they're stuck and they can't get out. So I think it's really important that people understand that. You know, one of the, one of the slogans that we use on the site is our dreams are not infected. And that's something that I think is really important that people realize that just because we're positive doesn't you still can't do things like get your master's or go back to school or do things like that. So kudos for that. I have a caller here online I'm going to bring on. Um, so let's see who this is. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, it's Daddy Dab up in D.C. How's everybody doing? Hey, Dab. I want to thank Tracy for sharing his story. Um, it, it gives yet another perspective of what it's like to live with HIV and AIDS in the United States. And I want to applaud your courage for being so open and honest from, from your relationship to your relationship with your, chi- with your child and, and inspiring other people to know that they can live with this disease like I have for 28 years. Well, I thank you so much for that. Um, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's an everyday process. I mean, every day, you know, it, it's almost like Robert. Um, when I first um, ran across Robert's site, Robert wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone. He was trying to prove something to himself. And that's mm-hmm. what everybody needs to wake up and do. You can affect so much change by just affecting your own life and people seeing that and you living as honestly as you possibly can. And it sounds like you're doing that. And as long as we keep doing that, I think that's the best way to affect change in other people and educate them about this is not a shameful disease. This is something that we can surpass. This is something that we can overcome. And it, it really makes us better people because it helps us make better choices in a way. Um, I look at it and say to myself, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation a long time ago with God and asked, what is it, you know, or anybody's higher power, what is it that I need to be doing with my life? And what he answered to me was, you're here to help people, and that's what you need to do, and that's all I try to do. If people ask my advice, I give it. If they don't ask my advice and they just want me to listen, I do that too. Um, I don't act like I know it all because I don't, but what I do know I try to share if you ask. And all we can do is all we, can, all we have to do is all be beacons for everyone else that comes along. You know, um, there, there's so many horror stories about, the, about people that have come out and, you know, like Matthew Shepard and all the rest of those folks who have just been beaten down and just killed because of who they are and what they are. But you know what? We need to learn to take care of each other. We need to stop the racism, the bias, and everything else and just realize that we are all the same people. We really need to take care of each other, and that's one thing that I always try to tell people about, and I try to live that every day. 
I couldn't agree with you more. As I've shared with Robert, I have the motto, I'd, I'd rather be hated for who I am than love for somebody I'm not. Exactly. And, and as long as you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and know that you made the most out of the day, and whether it was helping someone or helping yourself, it, it makes a huge difference. Um, I would like to get off the subject matter a little bit, and I warned Robert about this because we're currently fighting in D.C. to get the Ryan White HIV treatment funding uh, extended uh, because the expiration date is actually today. Um, I would like to <clears throat> thank the Senate Health and Education, Labor, and Pension Committee, which is chaired by senior member Tom Harkin, for passing the Ryan White HIV AIDS Treatment Extension Act of 2009. The bill would extend for four years the Ryan White program, which helps over 530,000 financially challenged Americans living with HIV and AIDS. What I need people to do that are listening is I need you to contact your members of Congress. Their telephone number is area code 202-224-3121. If you don't know who your elected officials are, you can go to www.votesmart.org, enter your address, and it will give you the name and telephone number of your elected officials. But we need you to do this today. We're trying to pass an emergency vote through the Senate to get the funding that all of the people in our community depend on for life-saving services and medications. And so I'd greatly appreciate everyone's help and getting this done, because whether or not you currently use Ryan White, over 80% of our community will need it at some point. Mm, very good point, that. I totally agree. Totally agree. We have to be there but, for those who can't. But once again, thank you so much, Tracy, for, for sharing your story, and Robert, for all you do for our community. And I hope both of you have a fantastic day. Thanks, you Dad. Too, and thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. That is awesome. He also, he fills in and co-hosts for me um, when Jeremy and Jack can't make it. And, you know, being a 28-year survivor, it just offers a lot of hope. And uh, I love when he calls in. And that Ryan White information is very important. So um, definitely check out your officials and make those calls. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, Tracy, was is your partner, you've been with him two years, right? Um, actually, we've been together almost three, but yeah. Almost three, married two, right? Right. Okay. Um, is he negative? No, he's also positive. Okay. So so do you find that it was a little bit, I guess, I don't know, how do I want to say this? Let me just think. Um, do you think it, is it, did you always date people that were also positive since you've no. been positive? Or so you did mix and match, <laughs> so to put it. <laughs> yes. Because a lot of people are like, you know, once I became positive, I only wanted to date other people positive because I didn't want to infect anybody. And I understand that, but no, I've I've mixed and matched um, quite a few times, um, and of course they knew, um, but they had no problem with it, and it wasn't why the relationship ended at all. No, right. I mean, I, it it just is what it is. I mean, people date who they happen to be attracted to, and these people happen to care for me for the time and place that we were involved, and it just was what it was. I mean, you know, we took the proper precautions and. You know, fortunately, none of them have ever been infected. They're not infected, and you know, we were able to to part on um, amicable terms. Um, you know, but we realized that 
I came into it honestly. They had the information, and we knew what we had to do. Yeah, I think that's important. I just want to remind people listening that you can call in and ask uh, a question at 347-215-9442. Uh, let's see. I have a gentleman in the in the chat room, and Tracy, he's a father, so <clears throat> I'm going to ask you this. He says, I have a 15-year-old son, and I'm not sure if I should tell him about myself just yet. I really want him to focus on school and not on the fact that his dad is, is gay. I have always said that if he asked, I would share my lifestyle. Am I being ridiculous is what he asks. No, not at all. If he asks, that, that, I mean, that, that's when you would share it. I mean, if it's not an issue right now, why make it an issue? Right. I mean, I guess, I guess what he's saying is at 15, do you think that we should wait until the time comes up, or do you think as a father he should just approach him at 15? He should somewhat understand. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few variables that we don't have. Um, first, we don't know if the son's actually living with him. Um, we don't know if he's in a relationship and the, the son just doesn't know and hasn't asked. Or, you know, I mean, there's a whole lot of different variables there, so we, there are things that we don't know. Um, yeah. If I had a 15-year-old son that was living with me and he asked, or even if he didn't ask and I knew that I was going to get myself into a relationship, yes, I would probably tell him. I would probably share um, because it's something that he needs to know. Um, and he needs to know because he needs to know who I am as a father. Um, if I show shame, then that's what he's going to see, and that's what, he, that's what he's going to grow up around. And I need to be proud of myself in order for my son to grow up proud. Right. Do you think that um, when we kind of hold it back and not tell other people that it kind of, like especially if they're, if they're, they're our own kids, like I can't speak because I don't have kids, but I think if you hold on to whether you're gay or you're HIV positive and you hold that from your kid long enough, when you finally tell them, do you think that they will kind of think that it's something that they should not, um, you know, like, how do I want to say, they, they, that, it's not some, that it's something that they should be scared of because you've held on to it for so long without telling them? No, I don't believe that at all. No. Um, because, again, I, I believe every situation is unique. And mm -hmm. you know your child better than anyone else, so you're going to know when to tell your child and when your child's actually going to be able to handle it. And when you're actually going to be able to handle the questions that they may ask. Um, right. Right now, Alan would not be, be able to handle that. Um, he knows that he has two daddies that love him and they love each other because he's, he's seen Linwood and I kiss, and he'll ask, well, why do you do that? Or he used to ask. And we tell him, because we love each other. I said, we kiss you, don't you? And he says, yes. And he said, we love you too. He's like, oh, okay. And he walks away because he understands that. He knows that we sleep together. He doesn't know that, you know, we wind up having sex because that's not something a five-year-old needs to know. Right. Um, but as, it, as he gets older living with us, those are things he's going to need to understand. So it's really, it, really has a, it really has a developmental challenge to it um, where you have to feel that it's the right time and the right space to tell them. Right, that's interesting. I had a lady on um, who actually lives in Pennsylvania near me. Her name is Teresa, and she was on back in June or July, and um, she was a grandmother, and she spoke about being diagnosed at, um, I want to say, 48, 52 years old, later in age, and she talked about how she approached the subject of being HIV positive with her grandchildren, who were only like four years old, you know, and she basically sat down and told her grandchildren that if, you know, grandmom's ever here cutting vegetables and grandmom cuts herself, you know, yeah, it's very important that you want to come and, and, and help grandma, but you have to understand that you can't 
you know, touch my, my blood. And, like, she made it so the five-year-old understood exactly what she meant, that if grandma gets cut, you know, yes, you know, you need to go get help, but you, you can't kiss my boo-boo and make it better. Because all the kids, you know, the kids want to do that all the time. If somebody gets hurt, they want to kiss the boo-boo because mommy kissed their boo-boo when they were hurt. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what I mean about being developmentally ready and, and, and just meeting them developmentally where they happen to be. Right. And I think that, 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 that her sharing that part of her story, just you realize that you're never really too young to not, not be informed about it in, in your own way, whatever way your age range can, can think about it. You know what I mean? It's how the, the, the adult will, will share it with the child, I think. Very true. Very true. I think that's really, really um, important. So, what are you, what are you doing now? Like, are you on medication right now? I'm on medication, um, and uh, I'm actually doing very, very well. Um, I probably go to the doctor more often than I'm supposed to. Um, <laughs> that's not a bad thing, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Primarily just because I, um, I, I don't like anything to linger more than a few days. So, um, if something if something's bothering me more than say three days, I usually call in and go ahead and make an appointment. Um, and nine times out of ten, it's really nothing. Um, and when I when I, that tenth time, it'll probably be the flu or something like that. And then I just go ahead and take the antibiotics that I need to take to go ahead and get rid of it. But um, I haven't had anything HIV related since I was diagnosed. And um, do you mind me asking what you're on? I'm sorry. What medication you're on right now? Um, I'm on a tripler. Okay, so you are on a tripler. Um, yes, and and how is the all. side effect? I've taken them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have any side effects. In fact, I, out of all the medications that I have ever taken, I've never had a side effect. Oh, well, that's so good. I, I, I consider myself especially um, blessed. I've never had a side effect. No crazy dreams or anything? None at all. Wow. Well, that's always good to hear because um, a lot of people are always, you know, scared about taking their medications because of the side effects they hear about. Because, you know, a lot of people, the, the side effects that you hear are not the, the the nicest side effects, you know, being in the bathroom all day long or, you know, but having you know, vivid dreams. And But, you know, one of the reasons I believe that they're not able to find um, a vaccine or a cure for this is because, the disease is, as, lo- as old as it is, it is still a very, very personalized disease in each and every, every person's body. And there's no two or three people that have that same strain, and that's the issue. And mm-hmm. the same thing with the medications. Everybody's, everybody's um, um, the word I'm looking for just escapes me. Everybody's tolerance level is going to be different as far as, what type of side effects, if any, they're going to suffer. So, that, you know, I always tell people when they call me, because I have a lot of people call me and say, well, the doctor wants to put me on this or they won't put me on that. And I always say, take the medication, give it 45 days. Unless you break out in something that really, really is uncomfortable, see if you can get to that 45th day, because chances are it will probably get better. If it doesn't, then go ahead and call the doctor, make another appointment, and go ahead and tell them it's got to be changed. But you've got to give any medication, and, and I'm talking about any medication you take, you've got to give it at least 45 days to get in your system and to find out really what it's going to do to your body. Yeah, and, it reminds and, me of God. And, and that's just for, that's for anybody. It's very true because when I, I started taking um, a tripla about, I want to say 
about a year and a half ago, and I broke out in the worst hives. I mean, like, so bad that I was, like, submerged in the bathtub because it was itching and I couldn't sleep. And um, I ended up being allergic to the sestiva. So, mm-hmm. you know, those hives, because I know some people who take the atripla um, will take it and break out in hives a little bit, but not as bad as, I mean, I have. And I had, like, this huge reaction where I was in the hospital for three days being pumped with fluids because I had this rash all over. And uh, it's scary. You know, it actually yeah. scared me, and, and it didn't allow me. Now I have an option. The, the doctor says, yeah, I think it might be a good time for you to start meds again. But I have that image of me sitting in the bathtub, you know what I mean, broken out and in the hospital like that, just in my head that it scares me to death to start meds. Again. Well, unfortunately, the one thing that they have found is that a lot of the medications are sulfur-based, and the sulfur, for some reason, has that type of an allergic reaction in people, and that's what really causes it. It's not really the medication itself. It's, it's, it's a byproduct of the medication, and that's what you have to get past. Um, and, and it affects a lot of people that way. Um, when, I, when, you know, when I was taking Sestiva and Comavir and all the rest of those things, um, you know, they, were, they, they would check me quite often and say, okay, well, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. No, nothing's happening. I'm okay. And You sure? Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I've, I've gone from AZT, and now I'm up to a triple, and I, I've taken all of them at least one time at, 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 at some point in my life. Um, the triple works well for me, so I'm content right now. Um, everyone doesn't need meds. I have a very good friend who I consider my brother in Tucson. He's not on meds right now because he's on a holiday, and his numbers are still high. So the disease is so it's so personal to each and every person as far as how their body's going to react to it. You know. And, but the other thing that I really want to point out to people in stress is don't take the word of your doctor as gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one thing that I find all the time. Everyone sits back and they look at their doctor and they say, okay, well, what do you think I should do? The doctor gives them their opinion, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to do that. And they don't think anything else about it. They don't seek out any more information. They don't, they, they, they just, they, they're just a guinea pig. And I look at it this way. You're an individual, and it's your life, and it's your body. And I had a friend die from this same type of ignorance, and I took care of him in Georgia. He went through the same thing. Um, I would fight with his doctor tooth and nail because every time his doctor went ahead and introduced him to something else, okay, sure, I'll go ahead and do it. You know best. Doctors have a lot of knowledge, and I'm not taking that away from them. But they're not God. They don't know everything, and they don't know how something's going to affect you. And they're not really going to know that unless you share that with them. And you need to do your own research and get your own information as far as what you think is best for you. Because trust me, we'd have, we'd have a whole lot more people around now if they had taken that advice, rather right. taking the advice of their doctor and sticking to it as if, as if it was the gospel. Right. I mean, that's one of the shows we talked about before was how important it is to choose the right doctor. Like sitting down, it's basically if you're, if you're going to, to find an HIV specialist, you know, for yourself, you should go on it like a job interview where you're interviewing the doctor. I mean, you should have that sort of, that thought in your head where you can choose your doctor, the doctor, just because he's the one that's closest to you doesn't mean that you have to go to him or that he, you know what I mean? Like you said, is is gospel. You can go to another doctor for a second opinion. That's right. And if you need to drive five miles further to someone else that's actually going to sit down and listen to you and talk to you, 
I'm going to say, hey, that's what you need to do. I mean, I was fortunate. When I came out here to California, I initially went to AHF, and I was hooked up to a clinic in Inglewood, which is now closed, unfortunately, but the woman that was there, and I cannot remember that doctor's name to save my life, but she was such a godsend to me. She had been to a lot of the HIV and AIDS conferences. Um, she kept up on the information, and she sat down with me and gave me choices. And she was the one that said to me, we're not God. We're just doing the best that we can from what you tell us. But ultimately, you need to decide, or we can decide together. And I've carried that for years. I wish I could remember her name, but I can't. But I'm so grateful to AHF because they have such wonderful doctors out here, and I think they give such great care. Um, some clinics are better than others, but I think they give such great care that, you know, you, 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 you have to take your life in your hands and be responsible for it and not give that, give that power up to anyone else. I agree with you 100%. Wow, that hour flew by, Trace. <laughs> like flew straight by. It's, it's amazing. And, and honestly, it was really, I think, one of my favorite shows having you on because I've learned so much. You speak really well, and, and you speak from the heart when you're sharing. And I think that's really important for people who are listening to, to feel that. I think that they can feel that when you're speaking. Well, I appreciate you having me, and hopefully we can come up with other topics that um, – we can go ahead and collaborate on because I, I have a whole a whole slew of different ideas, and I know that you're open to them. In fact, I promise you that I will call you um, before the end of this week so we can go ahead and talk further ourselves. Yeah, that would be great because you know what? I realized why I thought you were in Canada because you're in you said Ontario, but not even that. It said you have CA for California, and I just assumed it was Canada. <laughs> a lot of people do. Don't worry about it. It's crazy like that. But, yeah, definitely um, I would love to touch base with you and we'll talk more, definitely. But thanks for coming on and sharing your stories. Well, an amazing one, and you offer a lot of hope. I thank you for the opportunity, and um, we will speak again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Tracy. All right. Take care. Thanks. And remember, everyone, you can um, find out more about Tracy by uh, friending him or creating a profile on POS.IM. He is um, a member there. Um, and thank God for that. He um, offered a lot of hope, and it gives me hope as somebody who's sitting here, you know, who is only living with HIV for eight years, um, that I can get, you know, get married and have kids and have that, you know, relationship where there's love between both people and have a family because that is something that we always seem to think that we're not able to have or we're not worthy of having. So, you know, Tracy really exemplifies that and, and offers hope for that. I want to remind everybody that this is our last Wednesday show, so from now on we'll only be on Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Jack will be joining me and Jeremy on Sunday nights. And this Sunday coming up, October 4th, we have Dr. Frank Spinelli, who is a HIV doctor, and he will be coming on speaking about um, facial wasting and sculpture procedures that he does. And he also is an author and a columnist for theadvocate.com. He actually has a web series on theadvocate.com called Ask the Doctor. So it should be very interesting. So be sure you check us out this Sunday at 9 o'clock, same spot. And uh, thank you all for joining us. You can always join our social network at www.posim.com. And I hope you all enjoyed your day and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for joining